Well, good morning. I'm uh, Michael Flake, one of the one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family. Whether you are cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. As we look to the center of these circles, we ask ourselves, what is it that's at the center of my life? What is the person, the goal, the thing, the idea that everything else in my life is revolving around. Jesus Christ says He wants to be at the center of our lives, and if we ever invite Him there, that we'll experience real life, both abundant life on earth and everlasting life after earth. Today we are continuing our series of sermons on the life of King David. David is one of the central figures of the Old Testament. That's the part of the Bible that predates the earthly ministry of Jesus. The early Christian Paul said this of David in one of his sermons. This is in Acts chapter 13. He said, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to. So a man or a person after God's own heart. Now, don't get the wrong idea. David is thoroughly human. He's going to prove that again and again and again. But the description remains to be a person after God's own heart. So whether you are a follower of Jesus or you're just here exploring the Christian faith, what we're doing is we're diving in together to study the life of King David. And today we're going to start off with a thought experiment. And here's the thought experiment. If right now you could go back in time five years and tell yourself something, what would it be? If right now you could go back in time five years and tell yourself something, what would it be? Uh, at 8.15, somebody said, your most important prayer will be answered. That was nice. Another person said, don't wear your wedding ring when you're on a NASCAR team. He lost a finger that way. I'm just telling you what was said. I'm not, I'm not doing commentary here. What would you tell yourself five years ago? I might tell myself, if you start making random references to a restaurant in your sermon, people in the congregation are wonderful and they will get you gift cards to that restaurant. So choose wisely. <laughs> if you've never been here before, I make random references to Taco Bell during my sermons. I actually... I used to make random references to Taco Bell in my sermons. Starting this week, I'm making random references to Kindred in my sermons. <laughs> well, so we'll see, see how that works. If I actually had to do it, if I could go back in five years and tell myself something, I would tell myself this. You are going to depend on the people in your life more than you ever thought possible. You're going to depend on the people in your life more than you ever thought possible possible. Last five years, Manny and I have been through some things. Our church family has been through some things. Many of you have been through some things. We've walked together through it. Uh, and I hope I have, I hope you have, I, we realize how much we need the people in our lives who love us, who will support us, who will guide us, who will encourage us, sometimes who will even confront us. And so this is the point of the thought exercise. Now, as I look forward into the next five years, as you look forward to the year ahead, the years ahead, the five years ahead, what would you say to yourself? 
I would say to myself, you're going to need the people in your life more than you ever thought possible. And so I want to be more intentional about nurturing the relationships that God has given to me. And this is actually kind of the point of what we see in our passage for today, what Pete read for us earlier. As always, if you don't have a Bible, you can take the one in the chair as, uh, as our gift to you. So as a refresher of where we've been, David is a shepherd. David has been proclaimed by God through the prophet Samuel. He's going to be the king of Israel. The small problem is Israel already has a king. His name is Saul, and he's not looking to resign anytime soon. And so David is visiting his older brothers in the army, and as he does this, he confronts and kills the giant Philistine named Goliath. He hits him with a stone right between the eyes. In our passage for today, we see the aftermath of that event. 1 Samuel 18 verse 6 says this, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. What a lovely song that is. And in fact, it's not true because David at this point has only killed one guy. But you see what, what's happening? You get a sense of his public perception out of this song. His stock is rising. His stock is going up and to the right. People are enamored with this shepherd, this brave warrior who will one day be their king, but most of them don't know that yet. How do you suppose King Saul feels about all this? He does not like it. Verse 8, we learn this, Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? This has gotten under King Saul's skin. He's jealous. He's afraid that David's next move is to come after his throne. He doesn't know that God has already promised David that he'll be the next in line for the throne. But Saul just sees this and thinks this is what's going to happen. And so verse 9, from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. That's not good. And in fact, if you read the rest of 1 Samuel, you'll realize it's a little bit of an understatement. Saul did everything he could to make David's life miserable. Saul tried to kill David multiple times. Here David is. He should be off singing, I just can't wait to be king. But he doesn't have time to do all that because someone's trying to make threats on his life all the time. So from the time David kills Goliath to when he actually becomes king is a span of 5 to 15 years, depending what historian you read. 5 to 15 years, and they were a hard 5 to 15 years for David. He went through a lot of things, mostly because King Saul was jealous. And so this is really the point of the sermon today. At the beginning of that difficult season in his life, God gifted David with something precious. God gifted him with a friend, a friend named Jonathan. And, and Jonathan is actually one of Saul's sons. You see how this could get a little complicated? 
God gifted David with the friend Jonathan. Verse 1, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. So I had to be careful when I use the term friend because friend is a very general term. We have work friend, neighborhood friends, school friends, the people I sit near at home game friends. We've got all kinds of friends. And we often think of friends as something like the futon in our college dorm room. Nice to have, not the most important thing, and whenever I move, it's probably not going to move with me. I'll just get a new one, right? If I change schools, I'll get new school friends. If I change jobs, I'll get new work friends. It's important, but it probably is not going to move with me. I'll just get a new one. That's how most friendships work. And honestly, that's not a bad thing. That's just how most friendships work. But when you read what the Bible says about David and Jonathan's friendship, you realize it's not an ordinary friendship. It is not in the class of college futon friendships. There's something else going on here. What's described with David and Jonathan is captured in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. Proverbs 18, 24 says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, a, a friend who is closer than family. Notice that it's not saying every friend is closer than family or that even most friends are closer than family. There is a certain kind of friend, uh, a very rare sort of friendship that is closer than families. It's a rare sort of relationship God gifts us with a handful of times in our lives. I've heard Christians refer to this in different ways. Some Christians call this a soul friend. Some Christians call this a spiritual friend. I've heard a more modern church, kind of in our era, call it a 3 a.m. friend. Who do you call it 3 a.m.? You can call me, I'm up, the girls are awake. <laughs> the Bible calls it a friend who is closer than a brother. These are the sorts of friends who will walk with you through the hardest times in life. These are the sort of friends who will encourage you to grow closer to God even as you walk through the hard times. This is a soul friend, this is a spiritual friend. The language of soul friend comes from ancient Christians in Ireland. They, they actually viewed having soul friends as a spiritual discipline. You know like how we think like go to church, read your Bible, pray, give, serve, the disciplines. They would add to that list, cultivate soul friendships as one of the disciplines of what it means to follow Jesus. Spiritual friends is a, comes out of a modern day uh, movement. There's actually a blog site called spiritualfriendship.org. The contributors to spiritualfriendship.org would all, based on their understanding of Scripture and themselves, refer to themselves as celibate gay Christians. So Christians, followers of Jesus first and foremost, only romantically attracted to people of the same sex and who choose uh, not to act on that desire. So this is their experience, and they speak out of that there, but their major point is, please elevate the importance of friendships, that friendships have been undervalued in the last centuries of the church, and that we have something to reclaim in deep spiritual friendships. 
So whether you call them soul friends, spiritual friends, 3 a.m. friends, the scripture says friends that are closer than brothers, a friend that is closer than family. The truth is we need these sort of friends. I believe God has gifted us with these sorts of friends or the potential of these sorts of friends. And as the ancient Christians have said, by God's grace and with God's help, you and I can begin to cultivate these sort of friendships in our lives. You may not be facing death threats from King Saul. In fact, I hope you are not facing death threats from King Saul. If you are, please let us know at your earliest convenience. And yet, we still need friends like Jonathan who will walk with us in the years ahead. So let me point, walk through this passage to, to try to show you some attributes of soul friendships. Or what you call them whatever you want, soul friends, spiritual friends, 3 a.m. friends, closer than family friends. What are the attributes of soul friends? Number one, number one, number, 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 number one, a sense of closeness, sense of closeness. Verse 1 says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. I don't know how else to describe that verse. Sense of closeness, sense of love, of affection between David and Jonathan. Now, it's important to emphasize that in this instance, the Bible is not talking about romantic love. This is a common interpretation you'll hear, especially in the U.S., that David and Jonathan were actually secret uh, lovers. Uh, but I think when you look at the text, it's actually saying something different, because the key example of sort of romantic love or marriage in the Bible is Adam and Eve in the second chapter, and the Bible says they become one flesh. The Bible does not say David and Jonathan become one flesh. It says they become one spirit. So this is holding up an example of a different kind of relationship than a romantic one. This is holding up an example of still a deep friendship, a deep affection, a deep love between two people. But it says they become one in spirit. And remember in ancient Hebrew, they don't have like a gazillion words. The Bible was originally written in Hebrew, the first part. They don't have a gazillion words. So when they do small little textual nuances, that means a lot. It says they become one in spirit. Both relationships, both being one in flesh and one in spirit, are transformative relationships. They're both full of warmth. They're full of affection. They're full of closeness. Both can be transformative relationships. And yet they are different. Uh, the Scripture is holding up them as different things. David and Jonathan are what we would call kindred spirits. Thank you very much. Emphasis on the word kindred. <laughs> they are one in spirit. That's actually, it is honestly where we get the phrase kindred spirits from, from David and Jonathan. They are one in spirit. They are a kindred spirit. They're one in spirit. They enjoy one another's company. They are filled up being around each other. They are encouraged by their time with each other. They are challenged when they spend time together. They want to get to spend more time together because they have a deep soul friendship. Number two, a willingness to make appropriate sacrifices for one another. 1 Samuel 18.3 says, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. 
That's the second time the passage has said that Jonathan loved David as himself. That's, recur- that's kind of grabbing something else in the Bible, which is the command, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus taught that, and Jesus was actually borrowing it from the Old Testament. In other words, the relationship between Jonathan and David is an exemplary kind of love. It is a kind of love that doesn't just look out for yourself, but it looks out for the other person as well. When Jesus taught about loving your neighbor as yourself, he emphasized the sacrifices that one person would make for another. And so when David and Jonathan keep being described as they love each other as themselves, this is a preview of what we're going to see in the rest of 1 Samuel. They made appropriate sacrifices for each other. And it's not just always one person sacrificing for the other. That's not a soul friendship. If one person is always having to make the sacrifice for the other, that's a sympathy case right? Or at its worst, that's how abusive relationships work. This is a different sort of thing where there's a mutual willingness to sacrifice for one another. Both David and Jonathan are willing to sacrifice for each other. Number three, a long-term commitment to one another. David and Jonathan had a long-term commitment to one another. In fact, verse three says they made a covenant with each other. When you and I hear the word covenant, what do we think of? We often think of marriage. But in fact, in the Old Testament, when they heard the word covenant, they thought of God. When the word covenant is used in the Old Testament, it is used to refer to the relationship God has with God's people. It's a long-term commitment, that God has a long-term commitment to His people, and that God's people have a long-term commitment to God, even when it gets rocky, even when it gets hard, even through the ups and downs of it all. It is a long-term commitment with one another. Soul friendships have this same sort of commitment. They're not just friends when it's easy to be friends. We don't just walk together through the thin, we walk together through the thick as well. We'll see the peaks and the valleys together. Sometimes when we are our hardest to love, and let's be honest, some of us have become experts at being hard to love. I'm an expert at being hard to love. When we are our hardest to love, our Jonathan friends, our Jonathans in our lives will be there with us. And when they're at their hardest to love, we will get to return the favor. And then number four, what do we see about soul friendships? We see that soul friendships have a mutual giving and receiving. Mutual friend, uh, soul friendships have a mutual giving and receiving. Verse four says this, Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Man, I hope my soul friends read that verse. I'm low on tunics right now. What we see here, what we see throughout David and Jonathan's friendship is a willingness to both give and receive, give and receive, give and receive, a mutual giving and receiving of gifts of time, of kindness, of affirmation, of challenge to one another. And the mutual part is important, that throughout the course it goes both ways. It's important that you and I can both give and receive. Receive gifts, receive time, receive care, receive kindness, receive affirmation, receive generosity, receive challenge from other people. Right? How do you develop a mutual relationship if you always have to be in the place of the giver? 
We all have needs. We all need to receive. And some of the ways God helps us with our needs is he gifts us with people to meet some of our needs. And all this gets me to sort of my major point, and then I want to talk about Jesus for a minute. Typically, I do. My major point in this sermon is to say that soul friends or spiritual friends or 3 a.m. friends or closer than family friends, soul friends encourage us to honor God and grow closer to God, even and especially in the hard times. Soul friends encourage us to honor God and grow closer to God, even and especially in the hard times. Soul friends, friends like David and Jonathan, these friendships point us in a clear direction towards our maker, our creator, our redeemer, our constant companion. This is one of the distinguishing marks of soul friendships. They point us in a direction, the direction of honoring God, the direction of growing closer to God, the direction of prioritizing God, even as we walk through the hard times. In fact, especially as we walk through the hard times. So my prayer for each of you, for me, is that as we become more involved in the life of Lakes Forest Davidson, that we will find soul friends. And that we will be soul friends for others. And the truth is, every friendship doesn't have to take on that level of depth. I hope you hear that point. I'm not saying if you don't have every, every friendship in your life isn't a deep soul friendship, you're doing something wrong. No, no, no. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Right now, you and I are surrounded by people who would walk with us through the good times and the bad times, who would encourage us to grow closer to God at every step along the way. We don't have to walk through life alone. You were not made to walk through life alone. You were not made to follow Jesus alone. God gifts us with deep, wonderful friends to walk with us. No matter where you come from, no matter what direction you're going, and whatever it is that you think would isolate you, you and I do not have to walk through this life or follow Jesus by ourselves. Jesus said it this way, in John chapter 15, he said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And what did he command? Love each other as I have loved you. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Now, here's the truth. I'd be satisfied to be like God's intern, you know, God's helper, God's gopher, God's like, you know, go-to. But, but Jesus, as fully God, as the God of the universe, come to earth in human flesh, says something different. God wants a different kind of relationship with us. God wants to call you his friend. Jesus loves you. In fact, the, the verb there is that Jesus loves you unconditionally. Jesus loves you without attaching an if or a because statement at the end. 
Jesus loves you unconditionally. And Jesus says, let me pour out my unconditional love into you so that then that unconditional love can start to flow through you. And the truth is, some of us have spouses who can help us cultivate this sort of love, but soul friends can also help us cultivate this sort of love. But the truth is, only Jesus loves you with that sort of love. Only Jesus loves you with an unconditional sort of love. And only Jesus can transform you to love with an unconditional sort of love. There is no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. And Jesus laid down his life for each of us, his friends, so that we might be welcomed into God's family. And then he put his Holy Spirit deep inside of us to encourage us to honor God at every step along the way. Dr. King said that love is the force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. The unconditional love of God can transform you, can transform me, even when we are God's enemies, even when we think we are God's enemies, it can transform us into being God's friends. When all is said and done, the unconditional love of God will win the day. And Jesus invites you and Jesus invites me to share in that unconditional love and to share in his victory. And so the question I might ask you as I kind of wrap up my piece of the service today is simply this, what soul friendships or what spiritual friendships has God given to you? Or asked differently, what potential soul friendships or what potential spiritual friendships has God given to you? And my encouragement today would be that you and I might learn from the ancient Christians there in Ireland who said, let's be intentional to cultivate these relationships. Let's not take them for granted, but to be in cult intentional to cultivate them, be intentional to invest in them, be intentional to thank God for them. Be intentional to be overcome by gratitude as we see what God has provided for us through the people in our lives. I think the Scripture actually has a higher view of this than, than, than I do, of what these relationships are and can be. And you, the very last piece would be to say, you may say, I don't, I don't really know. I don't know where to start. I don't know where to start even thinking about this. And that's fair. You would not be the only person who got to the end of one of my sermons and said, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I hope the music starts again soon. <laughs> I hope that's a, a knowing laugh. I don't know what that... Well, what I would say is, rem remember the, the biggest point here, which is that the most important spiritual soul, deep, closer than family, call it 3 a.m. friendship you can ever cultivate is with Jesus. And it's not you calling Jesus your friend. Here's the shocking part. God went first 
and said, I want to call you my friend. I could kind of see where like you could get together with a bunch of people and be like, I really wish God were more friendly. We're going to start calling God a friend, you know, and see what happens. That's not what happened. God said, I am calling you my friend. God went first to say something that sounds so revolutionary. You think it, you think it was like not allowed to be said. The, the creator of all, the God of all, would look at us as people like we mess up a lot. We've made a mess of some things. Would look at us and say, you are my friends. That elevates what it means. So if you don't know where to start, I'd say start with Jesus. Start with that friendship. And then keep your eyes open to see or to see anew the gifts God has put in your life and how deeply He must love and provide for you. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, to talk to God, to listen to God.